0: we realized that word-of-mouth and direct referrals was really effective. But, you know, we, we could go outbound and if it worked, we would do it. But actually, people trusted other GP practices a lot more than they trusted a practice they had, their company they hadn't heard about. So we knew that that word-of-mouth was our was our key lever. And so we optimized for that.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Digital Spaceship podcast a marketing journal hosted by Blue Drop Studio co-founder Anna Rawinska and myself, Omar Juman. This podcast has one vision, and that is to educate, inform, and inspire others who are trying to build their tech brand. Tune in and listen to us chat ideation, marketing, scaling, and everything in between with up-and-coming entrepreneurs, stakeholders, and investors in tech startups across the world. We'll be diving into the details and also hearing about the journey, So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode.
2: In this episode, we're speaking with Ben, Growth Lead at Acurex. Acurex is a free software for GP practices in the UK, allowing anyone in the NHS practice to text a patient about anything they need.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Spaceship Podcast. Uh, today, we're speaking with Ben from Acurex. Thank you so much for taking the time to jump on the show with us, Ben. Um, Thank tell you us, very much for me. yeah, of course. Tell us a, a little bit about what you guys do over at Acurex and uh, a bit of your background.
0: Yeah, sure. So Acurex is a healthcare startup, uh, and our kind of central belief, central mission, is that anyone involved in a patient's healthcare should be able to talk with anyone else in a patient's healthcare. So the patient being at the center of that, and then the GP practice is a really important stakeholder. And then there's a whole host of other organizations, um, hospitals, nursing teams, communities, pharmacies, that should be able to speak with the GP practice and should also be able to speak with the patient. So internally, the way we kind of understand that quite a lot of ways is imagining a triangle with the patient, the GP, and other healthcare organizations. And every link of that triangle should be really strong and everyone should be able to speak with everyone
1: awesome um so your growth lead over there at um at, at curex so
0: how long have you have you been there so i've been with Curex for just over a year awesome uh yeah so my, my background's in engineering actually um before working at Curex, i worked at an operations consultancy mm-hmm. where basically i was given a kp a uh, metric to drive and then moving it up so that might look like i was in um like a, a breakfast cereal company mm-hmm. and then my goal is that you know we're currently making this much breakfast cereal and we want to get to this breakfast cereal right so let's use the data let's break down the problem um, run some analysis on it see what the biggest factors are and then like work on the make sure we're, everything we're doing is working on those biggest things so when I came into Accurix I came up with a very similar mindset because that's kind of how, how I've been trained use the data to break use the data and analysis to break down the problem, work out a big, how to prioritize those problems and then work on those biggest problems. Awesome.
1: So as growth lead then over at Accurix, what is it that uh, typically, I guess, goes down during the day? You know, what are your daily sort of tasks and responsibilities? Are you managing a team or how does that look like?
0: Uh, Historically a bit of a one-man band, but I've just started working with a product team. So um, I've had an interesting journey at Accurix where, when I joined, we had an absolutely fantastic product. Um mm-hmm. our user funnel was basically a user cylinder. Um it was something like 97% of practices who tried out Acurex would be weekly active after a year. Wow. It's a really, really sticky product. Um so when I joined, we were in about 15-20% of GP practices. And my role has been very much around scaling. Um so we're now being used by over 95% of practices. Incredible. Um, we're also looking at growing into hospitals. So that's why I'm working with the kind of the product team in designing a product that, that will be used in hospitals mm-hmm. quite a different role. Um, I reckon, yeah, we, we can certainly talk more about the scaling because that's something that I've seen more. Yeah. And um, to be honest, yeah, it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on 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 growth working with product and, and having a bit of discussion on that. But um, certainly my experience is more in scaling an existing product.
1: Yeah. OK, interesting. And. So when you first came on board with with Accurex, you mentioned it was initially a one-man band type of thing from the growth perspective. Um, but what did the the rest of the company look like then? Um, were there multiple departments or was it just like a development team?
0: So when I joined, we were about 10, 12 people, mm-hmm. 12 people. Um, we've got a big focus on um, developers at um, uh, So a lot of our early hires were developers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also we had a big focus on user research and customer success so yeah i think that definitely underpins accurate are like strong strong culture of data strong culture of like supporting our developers mm-hmm. but we also put a huge focus on talking to our users mm-hmm. so using them for user research and also support yeah so we offer customer, like um, user support from eight thirty 30 to 6 every day we have quite a lot of people talking to us so that's really useful not only does it kind of help us with retention because if a problem comes up, we know that a GP, you know, GPs can get in contact with us and we can help them through it. It's also hugely useful in understanding our users and you know we keep a tally on what they're asking us in terms of developing new features or improvements to current features. And that definitely informs the product roadmap Yeah, um, and it means we've got quite a close relationship with our users. We've got an active community group and if we have a question and we've got an unknown Often a port of call is to ask the community, and they'll let us know. And yeah. they, you know, supportive but also quite honest with us and quite open, and let us know if we're up the wrong tree.
1: Yeah, incredible, cool. Um, so, I guess moving past, you know, that that first point in which you you joined, and now it's been um, a year since you've been there. Um, it, actually, before we jump into that, you know, when was the the company founded? Then, so I know you joined a year ago, but before that, how long had it been operating for?
0: Company was founded in 2016, and then we pivoted to the current product in 2018. Okay, great. Um,
1: and that massive growth um, from, I guess, the over the past few months—that that's with the the new product or what the product currently looks like, right?
0: Yeah, that's correct. So um, when we first developed that product, it was before I joined. Mm-hmm. But um, we basically we found out by basically living in a GP practice for three months. And working with them, like every week, we'd kind of mm-hmm. build something, show it to them, test it, see what landed, build something, test it with them, show it what landed. A big insight that we found in healthcare is that if we wanted to grow as a small team, we had to build something that would land bottom up mm-hmm. and we had to build something that would be self-serve. Yeah. So there's quite a lot of kind of, you know, management structures in the NHS and as a small team, we knew that we couldn't approach each you know, structure individually and, and ask for it to be rolled out and we were also quite nervous that in doing that we'd be pressured to design something for a procurement body yeah. and that, you know, it'd become boxing exercises and that we might lose sight of developing things for end users. So, so, so we knew that we had to go bottom up and we also needed something that was self-serve that you know, if we wanted to go bottom up, it needed to be something that someone could just install themselves and learn themselves without a big... Rollout plan or too much change management, it needed to be something that you could download within five minutes and see the yeah. value up within five seconds. Yeah. And um, so yeah, that's something that we've literally obsessed over. um There was a kind of a time early on when we were looking at sending out CDs with installation packages to practices. <laughs> and, you know, they, they didn't have good enough internet to download it. And wow, they, yeah, and then maybe we should send them a CD in the post. Um, and the same with our users as well. That, Working with the NHS, we we have to serve one hundred percent of the population. Mm-hmm. We can't just say like this would be a cool feature if you've got the latest smartphone. yeah It needs to be like, you don't have a like you know maybe you don't have a smartphone, maybe you don't want to install an app, maybe English isn't your first language. We have to build something that serves one hundred percent of the population, and so that means we spend a lot of our time like obsessing over these edge cases, yeah um, and not just kind of go with some bright sparkly idea that that ticks boxes and looks good on a demo, but something that works reliably one hundred percent of the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What an incredible um, feat to to overcome that. I think there's like the developers must have a a field day when it comes to like responsivity. And then not only that, but building in like a variety of different languages and then access points. And wow, that's that's an incredibly large task. Um, Incredible to see that it's actually, you know, it's up and running and you guys are, are making moves with that vision and that goal in mind um i really yeah,
0: realised cool. as well by the way I, I should have started with this off the bat but i haven't actually said what we do i said we work in healthcare but yeah. um, I, I haven't talked through the product so before you go further it's probably helpful to talk about that definitely um, the, the technology behind acurix is, is basically embarrassingly simple uh what we do is we let in our primary care product uh we let gps send text messages and video links from their computer to a patient's phone okay So for our first 18 months, all we did was one-way text messages. Mm -hmm. So we were a little green floating toolbar that hovered on the GP's um, over there, like patient record. And then they could click one button and it would bring in the patient's details and contact information. They could type out a message or pick from one of their templates, click send, that Mm -hmm. would go to the patient's phone and also save to the record. Really simple, but it's- Incredible. processes that we were replacing was either like sending letters which is, you know, a sixty-piece stamp printing out the paper, and it takes, you know, half a week to arrive at the patient's door. Yeah. Or someone on the admin team who's playing phone tennis and being a huge waste of time. <laughs> so like I said, really simple tech, and you know, but most of the population has a phone that can receive text messages. Mm-hmm. Most people have numbers, and it it, it, it just worked.
1: Yeah. basically. Yeah. Brilliant. Um- so now you guys have essentially—I know you mentioned—you've gone from sort of that twenty-five to ninety-five percent um, being rolled out all of the international or nationally, nationwide, I should say. Um, you know, what does the future hold for you guys? And what does scaling look like? You know, how, how do you guys once you get to ninety-nine, maybe hundred percent across the UK? Um, what's next? How do you plan to
0: achieve that? So, um, I mentioned before about that that triangle and the communication between the the patient, the GP, and the clinician. We've done quite a good job on one of those six links, mm-hmm. you know where think needs to go both ways. so we've we've done quite a good job of letting GPS start conversations with patients. And you know we started by letting a GP send a one-way text message. They could also send questionnaires, and now they can send video links as well. Mm-hmm. There's still five other links to go. Yeah, so on the GP patient end, we're looking at building something where the patient can initiate the conversation. Mm -hmm. So what that might look like is a link on the practices website where the patient can click that, fill out some information, basically request an appointment or some time with with someone from the GP practice, and then the GP would be notified and it would all integrate with their existing systems as well. Mm -hmm. So that's a feature that we're launching later in the year, and we're really excited about then with the kind of the rest of it which is about bringing in everyone involved in a patient's care mm-hmm. is about letting hospital staff communicate with their patients and also letting hospital staffs and gps talk with each other mm-hmm. so at the moment there's a lot of different ways that people communicate um i was speaking with a gp earlier in the week and they said yeah that there's actually like 14 different channels that they get <laughs> information from so there's a lot of problems where a gp with a gp getting in contact with hospitals or hospitals getting in contact with gps we think we can solve that and that we're in a unique place to solve that because we've got that coverage in primary care. So it'll be growing in hospitals um, and building something that solves that need.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so I guess having that established, um, I guess, piece of the market and being already integrated within that industry, having the ability to to easily... I guess, roll out new features is, is probably is quite accessible for you guys at this point. Um, so looking at that, you know, what does launching a new product look like for you guys? And, and how do you approach that? And, you know, is there much marketing involved? Is it mainly sales? You know, how does that work?
0: So when we launch, we basically look at the data to see what works. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a small team, so we can't try everything. Yeah. So the way we, we typically go is we release something that anyone can in, that anyone can get started with and we really believe in bottom-up adoption and, mm-hmm. and it being self-serve. And then we, ju- we look at the numbers, we see how are people hearing about us, who's using us well, and then we optimize for those cases. So the story in primary care, in, in GP practices, was again we kind of we released it and we made it self-serve and the way we first got started is we literally wrote a thousand handwritten postcards saying we're just getting started wow we please it out yeah um, 30 of those practices said yes so mm-hmm. not the most scalable solution but <laughs> starting unscalably was a really important lesson something that you know we, we still do mm-hmm. um then those 30 practices really liked it and they told people about us those practices told people about us and very quickly we realized that word of mouth and direct referrals was really effective that, you know, we, we could go outbound and if it worked, we would do it, but actually people trusted other GP practices a lot more than they trusted a practice. They had a company they hadn't heard about. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: we knew that that word of mouth was our, was our key lever. And so we optimized for that. So we made extra features that you got unlocked with referrals. We did all sorts of things where, you know, we looked at, Public, publicly available data on which GP practices are near other ones, mm-hmm. and with our best and closest users, we said like, "Hi, we know you're by this place, and that they're not using us yet. Would you mind having a word if, if it's something that you think that they'd find useful?" Um. So yeah, in, in in terms of how we roll out, start wide and just you know see see what options are, and then double down on our best bets by using data and speaking with users.
1: Interesting. So I guess when you are speaking in. You know choosing that I guess method specifically you're talking a lot to the end user you're talking a lot to the consumer of the product Um, you know have you guys or when did you guys start the conversation of having a brand Um, and and when I say brand I mean like a visual identity towards that brand so you know how did you guys develop what your brand looks like, um, how it communicates, what's the, I guess, the tone of voice and the messaging strategy as well. Um, you know, When did that come into the equation? And, and also, did you work with sort of an external partner on that, or is that developed in-house?
0: It's an interesting question. I, I, th- I think we definitely have a brand and identity, but it's something that's developed quite organically and we've never worked externally on. Um you know, just part of our culture is that we like and respect our users. I've certainly worked at places where people can be a bit dismissive of their end users, especially if, if the product isn't landing or people are having trouble. It's easy to kind of dismiss that because uh, I've never heard that conversation. Yeah. If anything doesn't go wrong, that's on us. And what can we do to fix it? Even if it is some bizarre edge case, mm-hmm. it's on us and we have to fix it. Absolutely. Um, We also like really strongly believe that the user knows better than we do. Mm -hmm. You know, we're a small team and we care a lot about the NHS, but what we built is an embarrassingly simple self-serve product that lets GPs send text messages and have videos from, you know, their computer. The value from that's, and all the innovation has come from GPs, right? Mm -hmm. they, They do all sorts of things. They'll send, rather than giving patients leaflets, they'll send links to advice links, sorry, rather than giving patients leaflets, they'll send them advice links. Um, during COVID, they would ask patients to drive um, to the practice and wait in the car park, and then they'd text them if they need when they were ready, if they needed to mm-hmm. come face-to-face, yeah. which placed the need for a waiting room. We've had GPs who, you know, they need to pass on information to a hospital, so they text it to the patient and then ask the patient to show on their phone. The, 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 like these kind of innovations, we just wouldn't have thought of ourselves, and, and so we put, put our hands in the end user. And, and I, I think our brand would reflect that, and that, you know, asking you know if you asked our users hopefully they'd say the same thing that we're responsive we put the user first we take responsibility we want to be transparent Um, in in terms of how that forms an identity I think it's an organic thing we we talk a lot about tone of voice in the company and it's something that is important that is consistent Um, but I, I certainly don't remember us ever sitting down and sketching out what a brand would look like
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay so
2: from that tone on voice perspective then um because obviously as you mentioned it's something that's uh, quite organic and it builds up and you guys um try to basically develop that as as you go but do you at the moment because i guess that one of the main things for you guys is how to communicate um how to to write that copy whether that's for the website or other uh touch points so Is there a centralized document that gives you guys a guideline of what to do, what not to do, or is that more of like a gut feeling that's established through um, the team sort of being together?
0: So so there's two types of communication you mentioned there. One is the communication of our users to patients, and Mm -hmm. the second is our communication with us to our users. The communication with users to patients, we, we tend not to be opinionated on we have default templates but we write those templates with our users and like I said we try and be quite a self-serve platform and, and let our users communicate how they see fit in terms of how we communicate with our users um we've got kind of members of the team who specialize in, in tone of voice and so we, we'd run by our communication with them we'd run our copy through them um and, and they do have central documents to reference but a lot of that as well as in you know when we're having calls with our users and when we're having emails with our users, we, we can't run all of them by, by, by the team. So there's also some, you know, we run uh, internal sessions and and their internal documents on one by 10 voice. Yeah.
1: That's incredibly valuable. Actually. It's a really good thing I think to talk about as well, because it really, it's very difficult when you are, I guess, trying to scale a product that fits for everyone. So a hundred percent of the population um, is really being able to establish the different ways in which you can communicate to different subgroups of that audience or trying to find, uh, one sort of, a don't want to say, say it like this, but like a one size fits all solution where you can just be relatively generic in terms of the language that you're using, the narrative that you're putting into it and the contexts. Um, so I think it's, it's really good that you guys actually have people, in-house to to deal with that and you have those internal sessions um, to to actually get everyone aligned and on board with that because yeah, I imagine it could get quite challenging at times um, when it's a hundred percent of the population. Absolutely. Uh, That's really cool. So, you know, before we sort of look to wrap up the call, then um, I would ask, you know, based on your journey, Into growth and growing a a company like this, um, with such an incredible goal, you know, what are some of the, the bits of, or I guess experiences that you could distill some information for the audience for, um, that could really maybe help them along their journey as well. Maybe it's a, you know, someone who's, who wants to start up their own company, um, and needs to understand a little bit more about growth and, maybe even what a growth lead is. Um, or, you know, this could be a company that's already up and running and they just need to hear some words of reassurance.
0: Absolutely. Um, so I think for, for early stage companies, the most important thing early on is building, a, building the right product. Yeah. Um, so how do you know if you've built the right product? A Good sign is that your users stay with you over time. Um, People talk about product market fit is quite an abstract concept, but I, I definitely believe it. And if you try and scale too early, I think you're you you'll run into issues. When you're when you've built a product that really lands with your users and you're ready to scale, my advice would be follow the data and then double down on your best bets. So keep an open mind, be aware of what assumptions you've got um, and what you're doing off the back of those assumptions. Look at the data to say. You know what what are our most effective growth levers? what are our most effective channels and then commit into those channels as much as you can until they're not the right channels anymore and and keep looking at the data keep challenging yourself
1: awesome all right well i think we can uh anna do you have a question
2: actually i do have one one more question so in terms of um the growth lead role and what you're responsible for ben um what would you say is the best time to um, to get someone on board with your skill set? Like, what pieces of the puzzles have to be in place for this to really take effect?
0: Great question. Uh, I think it's when you're ready to optimize. So, like I said, I, I come from a settings where basically I, I take a graph and I, I make it go up, whether that's in you know, a factory, you know, getting more cereal out of a factory or, or getting more users using a product. With someone that an analytical skill set, probably isn't might not be the best person to, to build a, that that initial product. And you know, when we were landing that, when we were designing the product off the bat, it was all about working with users, understanding their feedback, their qualitative data, iterating the product, and making these big bets. And um, which isn't the time to be optimizing; it's the time to make big assumptions and move quickly and and everything like that. Once the dust has settled a bit, and you know what the product is you've got some traction and you're looking to take those channels and, and optimize them and, and use them better. That's the time when it's ready to sort of bring in data and bring
2: in that experimental mindset. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and from the operations perspective then, so you, you mentioned that you work with the product team. so. Um, for example, if um someone is in a position where they work with an external partner on building a product, do you think you would be still as effective in that or is that role really efficient when the product team is in the house?
0: Um, uh, just to make sure I understand that the question there um, is this if an external partner was building the product mm-hmm. or
2: Yes, yes. So if um, there's two ways in which you can uh, create a tech um, company, one is to work with an external company that helps you uh, develop that uh, app or platform. And another way is to build a team in house. So for you as a growth lead to be very efficient, obviously you have to have access to the product um, team in-house so you you can continue the conversations basically every day. So is this as effective if, let's say, um, there would be an external partner that is not fully integrated within the company or would it still be the same effect, do you think? The most honest answer I can give is that I'm I'm not sure. I I
0: haven't Mm -hmm. developed it. um, I haven't used an external partner to develop a product. Yeah, in my mind, it it might be challenging. It's not a route we've we've gone down in the past, and um, mm-hmm. I I also honestly wouldn't wouldn't imagine what that would look like in Actrix. You know, we really we make quite like when we're developing the product, we, it's really important that everyone's working together, and that mm-hmm. the product team will regularly speak with user support. They'll regularly speak with people doing user research. Regularly get insights from data analysis to get, and that that's kind of feedback goes two ways, where either the product team will have questions and assumptions, and then pull on the team for that, mm-hmm. or the team will have insights and share those with the product team. It ties into broader, you know, product strategy and you know, commercials. So yeah, definitely the whole kind of company comes together yeah. on that, and then it's really important, line. So. If there was a product, if we were developing a product externally, I think almost that they'd need to be so embedded that they might as well be internal. At that yeah. point, I'd maybe wonder why they weren't internal.
2: So a huge thank you to Acurex for speaking to us. You can find them online at acurex.com. That's awcurx.com. dot
1: You're listening to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal by Blue Drop Studio, a digital marketing and creative content agency based in London, UK. We're on a mission to grow the tech brands of tomorrow with creative content and social media advertising. Check us out on LinkedIn and BlueDropStudio.com or hit us up on social at HeyBlueDrop on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Your hosts are at Anna Rawinska and at Omar K. Juman. If you want to talk about digital marketing for your brand, drop us a line at hello at bluedropstudio.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.